three things my wife hates, uh, as you know. Me? Nina. Yeah, you, yeah. Uh, your stupid face. Yep, that's two. I can't remember what the third one was. Um, Me wearing cowboy boots was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> this is Death, Sex, and Money. Well, I would prefer not to talk publicly about any of those three things. Yeah. So why don't we go do all three? The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. They had sex. And need to talk about more. Get a job. I'm Jason Isbell, in for Anna Sale. And today I'm talking to my best friend, Will Welch, who also happens to be the editor-in-chief of GQ magazine. One thing that is funny that we do encounter is people think it's weird that we're friends. That's true. It's partially chalked up to like what people perceive as like, you know, a Nashville man who folk used to Americana be a <laughs> singer-songwriter and yeah. a guy who was like the editor-in-chief of the place with the fancy suits and the shiny shoes. Will recently became GQ's top editor after years of working his way up the ladder. But when Will and I first met, he was just getting his start in the magazine world, and I was finding my footing in the music world, too. He wrote a profile about a band that I used to be in, the Drive-By Truckers. So it was 2004, I believe, and we were in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. That was probably the lowest point of my life um, because I was in the middle of uh, separating, getting a divorce, um, working uh, in a creative environment that was stifling, difficult, contentious for me, you know. Yep. No, and, and doing no small part in my own behavior, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as as problems usually are for me. Uh, I certainly did not know when I met you that I was dealing with a man at the bottom. Oh, good. Well, I don't know that you necessarily knew that either, obviously. Yeah, not at that point. Um, but uh, I specifically remember we went to a meet and three. In Hollywood the, Inn. Hollywood Inn. Hollywood Inn Soul Food across the street from Bunyan's Barbecue. The reason I did not know that you were at the bottom is because you did not have dessert. <laughs> I didn't. But I was like, this This is a man on a diet. He's not at the bottom. <laughs> He's saying no to this peach cobbler that looks so good. <laughs> I was like, this is a man on the rise. You know, you were there with Danny Clinch, photographer. Yep. And if Danny's around, I don't get dessert because I'm in, in the back of my mind. <laughs> You're like, I need to have my photo taken. Yeah. This is going to make a huge difference. Difference in the photo. Yeah. The, the the six ounces of peach cobbler that I may or may not eat today are going to make the photo <laughs> good or bad. Yeah. Suddenly you know? these pants are going to fit. Yeah. It's not the last eight years of drinking. It's the it's the peach cobbler. <laughs> Since then, I mean, it's been pretty much constant contact. Yeah. Pretty much daily. Part of me suspects that um, the the long distance r- nature of our friendship is uh, appealing to you on some level. Um, you're just not a guy that likes a lot of people in his yeah, face all the true, time. It's true. It's true. Just and like I, as a blanket statement, not because you're you know a well known rock and roller or for any other reasons. It's just like the nature of your personality. It's true. My 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 therapist tells me that I am uh, an introvert, but I have been forced to. Uh, portray something different. An introvert with extrovertic tendencies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you like having your wife true. and your and your baby girl, Mercy Rose Isbell, in your face, but otherwise, yeah. And you know, I need I need time away from them too, and they yeah. would they would tell you the same thing, you know. Um, 
all the relationships that I've had that have worked on the long term yeah. have been relationships that, you know, had periods of of not constant contact right. or, or, you know, not being around that person all the time. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think the longest we've gone without speaking to each other would be? A couple of weeks. Yeah, probably when I was in rehab. Yep. I think that was it because I didn't talk to anybody. Seven years today I went in and, and hey. I've been sober seven years today. So there we Where's go. Where's the tattoo parlor? I know. Let's go. Jason Let's go. has – can I speak on your tattoos? Yes, yes, please do. Jason has notches for his sobriety years. Yeah. And um, so another notch is due. When I believe them to be on your right forearm. They but I are. I could be wrong. Yeah, they're on my right See? forearm. I started down by my wrist, so hopefully I'll go all the way. If I get <laughs> – If it wraps around your shoulders and goes down your left forearm, then <laughs> – And then know. I'm getting drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're small. So if, yeah. it get, if it gets to my, like, armpit, then that means I'm about 112 <laughs> and I'm, I'm getting hammered. I should say I have I have uh, five years but no notches. Yeah. You you have you have mental notches though. Yeah, and and you uh, getting sober was a big deal for me. Yeah, it was a really big deal for me. Yeah, um, obviously it was a huge deal for you and for everybody else in your life. But Stratosphere. it was stratosphere. Yeah. It's like the first time in my sobriety that I felt like, oh shit, somebody somebody needs me and I can help. Yeah, well, I have very specific uh, memories of uh, exiting my. You know, walking out of the building where I worked at the time, it was in Times Square, and I was standing on 43rd Street, and I was like, I don't know, man, this isn't working. Mm -hmm. This is really not working. And um, you kind of walked me through some options, but what was nice about it is you weren't offering, I wouldn't even say you were offering advice. Mm. It was just kind of like, well, let me tell you my experience. I obviously knew your experience, but you sort of walked me through some aspects of it that might apply. Um, and then I had a totally different approach, but felt completely backed up Yeah, and, you know, knew, knew that I could and often did call you to, to talk about it or text you about it or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's always like, like I never feel more confident in the stability of my sobriety than when I'm talking to somebody else about it and it doesn't have to be, it can be me saying I need help or somebody else saying I need help or, you know, every time it's like you get another power up, Yeah, you know, when you just get it outside in the room. Well, what I value about those conversations uh, over the years um, is that they very rarely, uh, they're kind of like rooted on a foundation of sobriety, but basically have nothing to do with using drugs or alcohol mm -hmm. or any of it. So it, it it immediately becomes a conversation that is much more about um, what's going on with us emotionally, how we're connecting with people or not, what's going on in our respective marriages. And it all feels like in a way we're talking about sobriety, but we're actually never talking about like drinking. We're not like... Man, I'm really white knuckling it right now. Yeah. There's a mini bar in this hotel room. Yeah. Tell me it tastes <laughs> bad, man. Tell me it tastes bad. But um, yeah, it's like it's like it's like a song. Like somebody asked me, you know, what's the song about? And and it's about everything. It's about writing a song. It's about yeah. being a person. It's just all yeah, about yeah. being a person. And sobriety is to me about being a person yes. and growing up and becoming more adult and, and more aware. And, yeah. you know, that awareness, I think, is the is the trick to almost everything for me. Because when you're aware, you're, you you look around and you're like, man, I've got it 
really well. Let's yeah. count the things that are going right. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we just talk and we count the things that are going right in, yeah. in a and, roundabout way. And, you know, and sometimes what's going right, um, uh, especially we're, we're, you know, both in our well, I was about to say we're both in our 30s. Uh-huh. We're not, though, are we? <laughs> we're not. Thanks, brother. Jason's Thanks. newly 40. Newly 40. I'm I'm deeply into my 30s. Um, but, you know, we've both been working our working really hard and having some success. And sometimes it's really – there's nobody to talk to about, like, aspects of success. Yeah. That, where you don't feel, like, completely embarrassed and, like um, – very often there's no right answer to how are you doing. You know, if you go back home and somebody's like, man, how have you been? There's no but, there's no right answer. You need somebody who knows you and somebody who is. Yeah, and most people don't want to, like, hear about, like, you know, something really exciting happened. And yeah. I need to share about it. And I could use a little bit of help, like, figuring out how to navigate it. But it's basically, like, some form of brag. It is always. You know. And if you're complaining, they're like, yeah, let me tell you about my life, yeah, asshole. Exactly. We got to talk about money because that is one of the words. We got to talk about death and sex and money. So let's talk about money. All right, cool. Um, this is a good introduction into this conversation. I, I just bought a guitar, and and I bought a guitar that's like you know saying I just bought a guitar is understatement to the point to where it almost makes me an asshole just saying <laughs> I just bought a guitar. But um, you know it's a very famous guitar, and it's it's a 1959 uh, Les Paul Standard Sunburst guitar. It was owned by Ed King, formerly of the band Leonard Skinner. Ed came up with the riff for Sweet Home Alabama, and uh, he passed away last August. And Sharon, his widow, brought uh, a lot of his guitars in to. Uh, Carter Finish Guitars in Nashville, which is my local guitar store. And yes. in Nashville, your local guitar store, you know, is is like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. It's just like it's 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 a dangerous, dangerous place. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. It's, it's dangerous. And uh, they had this, this Les Paul sitting there, and I pick it up. And I've always told myself I'm never going to own a 1959 Les Paul uh you mean Sunday. because you were just trying to get used to the sound of your own voice acknowledging the fact that as much as you would like to, it's just not going to happen. It was, yeah, it's out of my reach, and it's yeah. not feasible. But I picked it up, and it immediately felt and sounded different from any guitar that I have ever picked up before. I plugged it into an amp or anything, and I, I became obsessed with it. Uh, so I obsessed about it, and you know, I called my accountant, and she said, no, of course not. That's ridiculous. <laughs> absolutely and, may not. No, no, sir, you cannot have that Do guitar. the crazy thing that you're thinking. Yeah, so I called my manager, and, and I was like, we have to find a way for me to pay for this guitar without affecting the people around me, the people who work on the crew, the people in my family. You know, I can cut back however I need to for however long I have to, but this is something that's really important important to me. And she said, we'll take some extra gigs. We'll make it work. And so we did. And, and uh, you know, I took it home and, and uh, it, it did a thing for me. You know, it, it, it took me to where my priorities were long ago, which is like, I really love to yeah. play the guitar. And, and so I, I justified in that way. Um, right. But I can't completely justify. I can't completely justify any of it. It all seems like a ridiculous privilege to me, you know, just to be able to take a taxi in New York rather right. than walking or rather than taking the subway. Or, you know, and, and how do you feel about those kind of things? Because both of us are in a very, very fortunate position. So uh, I... I basically feel as though I live extremely modestly. 
I actually yeah. have a tattoo on my hand that says "Want Nothing," mm-hmm. which did not get there by accident. Um, and I think it's also good in relationship to my job, which has heavy elements of being like about fancy things, um, to just have a really careful relationship with fancy things. Uh-huh. Uh, I also, though, you know, fall in love with beautiful things and. Recently, that has, like, moved into some, uh, I would say, you know, pretty pretty modestly priced art. And I'm always trying to feel out, like, how impulsive is this, you know? Yeah. And recently, you know, I often am like, this is impulsive, and I'm going to ride that, and it's okay. Yeah. You know? And you need it. If you're like me, the impulse is going to rear its head somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I know I know this about myself, yeah. man. I have been— you So know. let's consciously choose the impulses that we allow to come to fruition instead of having them just leap out of us. Right. Like we both used to be outrageous risk takers of a uh, largely unhelpful sort. Um and you it's know, comparatively, it's a safe risk. Yeah, um, I have to say something. Yeah. So, and and I think this is like true to the way that you and I speak to each other. I have just like been noticing my experience through this entire money part of the conversation. I'm just like completely uncomfortable. Yeah, me too. Saying into a microphone on WNYC that like I have been buying paintings in a very like entry level way yeah. just makes me completely uncomfortable. Me too. Me too. The guitar thing, totally. It, yeah. So, anyway. And why? Let's figure out why that is. Um, well, I think it's because we are both hyper aware of matters of, um, of, matters of privilege. And, um, and both are people who, when we're talking, can't help but understand the way other people are hearing us. Right. And so I'm constantly, like, trying to figure out how any of these personal things we might be saying sound. And I feel just uncomfortable about the way the idea of, like, buying an expensive guitar mm-hmm. or an expensive painting sounds. Yeah, I, yeah, me too. Me too. Because I, I look at the guitar or I mention the guitar and I think about the kids that I grew up with that – you know, had holes in their shoes. And then I think about the fact that they were doing really, really well compared to somebody else somewhere else. You totally. Know? And, and yes, it does make me feel uh, like a real serious asshole. But at the same time, when I was a kid, you know, if rock stars didn't get to have 1959 Les Pauls, <laughs> you know, I don't know if I would have wanted to be one. Yeah. Like watching Jimmy Page, he had a yeah. 1959 Les Paul. Yeah, you know? and, and Jimmy Page did not come on WNYC and cry about it. Hell no. <laughs> Coming up, Will and I talk about mental health, masculinity, and why Will recently went public with his cancer diagnosis. And I did think about that before I published it. You yeah. Know? Like, do, do I want people to who Google me? Well, what's up with the editor in chief of GQ Style? Like, well, he has one testicle. episode, you heard Jason and Will talk together about their sobriety and about the day Will realized drinking had become a problem for him. And we're interested in hearing your stories about drinking and how it's working or not working for you. Has the way you drink changed? 
Has there been a particular moment that made you worried? Record a voice memo and send it to us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. We won't share your recording or your name without getting your permission first. And to hear more about Jason's early days of sobriety, listen back to the first time he was on our show in 2014. He and his wife, musician Amanda Shires, talked about how their relationship was affected when Jason went to rehab. He was writing me letters because I don't let you talk on the phone. Said nice and sweet things like wait to see the progress and all this kind of stuff. Drew pictures. During that period, was it your impression that your relationship was in jeopardy? I knew it was in jeopardy, but I never... uh... You know, I'd been after her for a long time, a long time. So as nervous as I was and as scared as I was that she might not be there when I got out, some part of me thought it would be all right, but, you know, I I didn't know for sure. You can get a link to that episode by texting Jason to the number 70101. On the next episode, Al Letson, who hosts the podcast Reveal, talks with investigative reporter Nicole Hannah-Jones. She won a MacArthur Genius Grant two years ago, and around the same time, got the name of her hometown tattooed on her wrist. I call it my, um, you came from the dirt to the dirt you can be returned tattoo. Like, never start thinking too much of yourself. Like, you you can be humbled. And, you know, I live in New York. I work at the New York Times. I get invited to all of these elite spaces. I know a lot of prominent folks, but... Those people did not contribute to making me who I am. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalyst for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, 
just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash DeathSexMoney. We are so excited to see you there. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Jason Isbell, in for Anna Sale, talking with my friend Will Welch. I met my wife Amanda around the time that I first met Will. Then, the same year that I married Amanda, Will married his wife, Heidi. Soon after our weddings, Amanda and I went to visit Will and Heidi at their home in New York. And at the end of the trip, I almost destroyed my friendship with Will forever. We were talking about wedding gifts and uh, getting married and all, all this. And somebody had given us a soda stream. And I went into a bit, which I often do uh, to my own chagrin. Later on, I hate that I went into a bit. But I went into a bit about the soda stream. And my argument was, you know, soda stream might be healthier. It's certainly less expensive. But who cares that much about soda? And I went on for a long time because I was cracking myself up. And, you know, I got a couple laughs at everybody else. And you else. do this. You get rolling downhill on something, and the bit the bit grows. The bit flourishes. It does. That, and that one flourished. And it flourished, and it felt good at the time. And then on the way to the airport from your apartment, I thought, dear God, Will and Heidi gave us the soda stream. <laughs> and I turned to Amanda, and I said, did Will and Heidi give us this soda stream and she said god they did <laughs> they did and both Turn of us this were cab like, around. yeah i mean we were almost in tears yeah, yeah. like on the way we we're like oh my god we can't go back in person we're going to miss the flight and we're like we have to call so we called nothing ha- you know you guys didn't answer you guys we were you know having like we had just left why would yeah, we yeah. be calling um Turns out you didn't give us a soda stream. We did not, yeah. Uh, But we were both completely convinced that you had. Whoever did, I'm sorry. It was a great gift. It was just a bit, you know. Uh, But has there, in your opinion, been a time when we've been at odds or distant? No. I mean, I think there were were times where, you know, we weren't capable of communicating with each other in the way that we are now. And that, like, um, you know, when, like, you were going into rehab. Yeah. there were things that you told me after that I didn't know were going on with you. And yeah. I felt like, like, oh man, I didn't, I didn't, you know, that's my friend. I didn't know he was struggling with that. At the time, I thought that it was, you know, the bad thing to do uh, would have been to tell you all those things that were going on with me. Yeah. But the opposite turned out to be true. Yeah. So, yeah. It's been, I have it, never been angry at you. I've never been angry at you either. Yeah. Not at all. Not, not you, even when I used to get angry at it's people. because you largely time. act right. Well, in regards to me, anyway. At the very least, I think we understand each other's motivations. Yeah, you know, I, I, the 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 male reflection of depression, the, yeah. the grumpiness, mm-hmm. is something that will get a hold of me mm-hmm. very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, I I have uh, probably a shadow of depression, mm-hmm. not not a full on, uh, you know, chemical situation with it, but I fight that more frequently than I fight anything else. Because just getting sober didn't make me all of a sudden happy. Everything in the world did yeah, not change. It doesn't change. fix you. Yeah. The world does not give a shit if I'm drunk or not. You know, <laughs> no, it, does not. it does not. There's a, uh, there's a, I recently, as you know, wrote a feature, a, a profiled for GQ style, uh, this guy named Ram Das, who's a uh, famous psychedelic explorer and then spiritual guru. But one of the many things that, has really will be with me forever is this idea that all thoughts, words, and actions are an offering to God. 
So I tr- I've tried over the last year or so to make that just a constant presence in my waking life. So I'm at work and something tricky is happening and somebody comes into my office and gives me some news I don't want to hear. How do I react? Your, yeah, your reaction. Is an offering is, to God. Yeah. React accordingly. You know what I mean? What is a way that you would respond now uh, with that type of awareness that, that you wouldn't have five or six years ago? Well, in, in the way that you get grumpy, I get snappy. Hmm. So, um, you know. We're like the seven dwarves of male depression. We are. Grumpy, yeah. snappy, yeah. shitty. Just between the two of us. Dopey. We're, the, we're the seven dwarves. <laughs> Self-aggrandizing. <laughs> He's the worst dwarf of all. Mouth breathy. <laughs> <laughs> My spirit dwarf is mouth breathy. <laughs> You're too tall for your sinuses to work that right. It's true. not your fault. That is dude. absolutely true. So um, anyway, I fail every day at this, but essentially what I try to do in moments where I feel overwhelmed, where I feel snappy, where I feel I grumpy, I don't relate to on the, on on the same level as you. For me, it's more about this like this reaction. Um, you know, you try to like take a deep breath and and bring in generosity. You know, yeah. and like I'm receiving news that I was not expecting and do not welcome. Maybe do not welcome is not the right start to receiving this news. <laughs> right. So hopefully over time I can get to a place where I no longer have to feel the snap rise, yeah. override it, call in, genera- do all these things, but it's more of a natural way of being. Yeah. Let, let's talk about uh, your gig uh, because it's very interesting to me, uh, the job that you have uh, now. You're the editor-in-chief of GQ magazine. Yeah. Um, how do you navigate running a men's magazine right now? Well, for me, you know, it was interesting when I got the job, there were a handful of people that were like, congratulations, that's the best thing that's ever going to happen to you, which I don't necessarily <laughs> agree with, but I appreciated their sentiment. <laughs> a, little, a little backhanded. Yeah. Thing, yeah. And there were other people who were like, yikes. Yeah. Whoa. A men's magazine in 2019. Good <laughs> luck with that. But for me, it just felt like pure opportunity because, um, you know, I guess I'm like comfortable as um, comfortable as like a leader. Yeah, you can and, handle it. You'd, yeah, you'd rather drive than ride. I'm, uh, that, I'm that way too. Absolutely, and and so for me, it's like this incredible opportunity to participate meaningfully in the conversation that's happening right now, and it's a conversation that I think is. Um, exciting and important and necessary and tricky. Um, but I'm not scared to look it in the eye, I suppose. You know, I, where I grew up, the, the, the masculinity thing was, 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 it was severe, you yeah. know, it was severe. And it's like a thing that now I feel like in some ways I'm, I'm on the other side of that kind of, that idea of masculinity and, and looking at it and thinking like, you know, there's a lot of things that you can be called on the internet, and every once in a while, I see one of them and I go, "Oh man!" <laughs> but it's never one of those, you know, guys that's calling me somehow less of a man. Yeah. Those don't even register. Those are just funny to me because I know maybe even sometimes feel good. Yeah, oh, totally, yeah. totally. That's like yeah. a compliment. Yeah, and yeah. it also makes me sad for them. Right. You know, in a way, because it's like, yeah, fuck that guy, but still. I wish somebody somewhere had managed to get through to him that that's not how you do it. Well, if he's, you know, hitting you back on Twitter, that means he's engaging with your uh, content. Yeah. That means maybe there's a glimmer of hope for him. (laughs) 
sir, please continue to engage with my content. That's right. I'm not going to block you. That's right. I'm just going to mute you. Yeah. (laughs) So I have to talk to you about this. Uh, Recently, you you had uh, testicular cancer. Yes. And you chose to talk about that. What what made you feel like you wanted to open up about that? It was um, interesting. Basically, what happened is I uh, I was traveling for work. And I noticed a lump on one of my testicles, and I was like, "That is not normal. I need to have that checked out as soon as I get back to New York." And yeah, in the past, I don't. I probably would have like noticed it and just buried that information. Um, but essentially, I've. I got back, I went in f- uh, to see the doctor and I thought it was going to be just like, this is no big deal. Something really normal is happening to you. And it became very, the word cancer was, he put it on the table was there. very fast. Yeah. I remember you called me uh, and yeah. I could tell that you were scared. Yeah. I was scared, you know, and it was a few days there that, that it was tense. Yeah. And it was basically a six day stretch that ended in me having uh, surgery to have the, the testicle in question removed. And along the way, I had to write an editor's letter. And I was like, either I can lie <laughs> and write about something else and say, did you see the pretty pictures on page 163? Or I can deal with the the thing that is occupying 97% of my brain and basically process through writing and sharing. Yeah. Basically, I made a couple of corny, like, dad-like ball jokes. Got to do it. Yeah. Um, just to, like, keep things light. And I basically just shared what I was going through. And a lot of what I was going through was um, it was scary enough that I was able to to ask myself, if everything is not all right, is it still all right? Yeah. And the answer to that question was yes. Yeah. I could I could hear yeah. that. Yeah. Even if this goes the worst way, it's all right. You know? Which is the best, I think the best thing you can hope for as, as an adult human yeah. person is like, you know, yeah, one day I'm going to be gone. Yeah. Okay. Okay. If it's today, all right. I don't need to go bungee jumping. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There are, bungee jumping's pretty awesome. I though, haven't done it. It's, it's pretty awesome. But still... Yeah, I mean, super scared of heights. Like I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not. You know, if I had 24 hours, I don't think I'm making a bunch of phone calls. Right. You know, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think that's how I want it. Uh, that's how I want to spend it. You know, I, I think everybody knows. You know, and I felt like that with you. Like, you know, it, yeah. If 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 this went completely sideways and there's no more will. Will did a good job. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And I would, you know, if that's how it went, I would be very grateful for the last five years especially. That's my friend, Will Welch, who is now cancer-free. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Annabelle Bacon, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. If you're not subscribed to this show, what are you doing? Make sure you hit that subscribe button, because this is a really good podcast. If you're new to the show, they've even got a starter kit of some of their favorite episodes just for you. Find it at deathsexmoney.org. You can follow me, Jason Isbell, on Twitter and Instagram. I think I'm also on Facebook. 
My latest album with my band, The 400 Unit, is called Live from the Ryman, and I hope you'll catch me and my band on the road. Check my website, jasonisbel.com, for a tour date near you. Ultimately, what we're really trying to do here is promote our wares. So, yeah, you know, if you want to know the secrets to the friendship between two uh, grown men who share three testicles, please <laughs> buy my records and a copy of GQ magazine. <laughs> Many copies, all the copies. Yeah, all the copies. I'm Jason Isbell, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.